Hey ladies and gentlemen, this is David Benjamin, your host of the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. Today we have Heidi Dupree on the podcast. She's an energy healing therapist, holistic nurse, certified traditional naturopath, and award-winning author with over 30 years experience in healthcare. Her book, The Other Medicine That Really Works, How Energy Medicine Can Help You Heal in Body, Mind, and Spirit, has won seven national and international awards in the categories of health, alternative medicine, and healing arts. Heidi began her career as a clinical nurse and then transitioned to energy medicine with a private practice in energy healing in Ashburn, Virginia for the last 20 years. She has a bachelor's degree in nursing, in nursing from the University of Virginia, a doctorate in traditional naturopathy, and is broadly trained in a variety of energy healing therapies. And before I get into the first question, I just have to say her book is absolutely awesome. I highly recommend it. Once again, it's the other medicine that really works. I will link this up in the show notes. She goes into a lot of detail and has a lot of great information and a lot of cool uh, images and charts that kind of show you visually uh, how different things in the body work and different energetic fields and all these different things that are kind of complex, but uh, she helps to kind of simplify and break those down and show you how when you benefit, when you understand them, you can actually benefit from them. Uh, so thank you for being on the podcast today. How are you doing? Thank you, David, for that introduction and your kind words about my book. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm, I'm so happy to have you here. And uh, like I start all of my podcasts, I wanted to ask you the question, how did you get involved in the, this type of energy healing work originally? What's, what's your story on that? Well, over 20 years ago, I was working as a clinical nurse, and I was receiving uh, Western medical treatment for infertility that was unsuccessful and it was actually um, traumatizing me and, and uh, causing other issues and I was pouring out my frustration to the psychotherapist I was seeing at that time and saying that you know this treatment just doesn't feel right it doesn't make sense to me but I, I have no other alternative you know this I have no other choice and she, being a uh, holistic-minded psychotherapist, was like, what are you talking about? There's lots of alternatives. But I had no, no awareness of that. Because I, being raised in and educated in Western culture, I just I wasn't aware. Of course, this was over 20 years ago. So I began exploring for years. I personally tried everything I could find. And I started studying and taking workshops and what really surprised me was that it ended up not being about infertility. That was not the primary issue. That was just a symptom of a deeper imbalance. It was more about healing all of me, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, transforming my life and connecting me with my life purpose. So that infertility was the entry point to start living from my core instead of my wounds. And eventually I left clinical nursing and started to practice in holistic nursing. Did, did that change at all, the, the infertility, did that? Oh, yes. Very <laughs> um, cool. I, yes, I, um, at the end of that journey of exploration, I actually came back around to using Western medicine, but I combined it with everything that I knew, and my son is now almost 17. Very cool, that's awesome. You, you talk a bit in your book about the history of energy medicine, and I thought that was so cool because I've never really seen or heard any kind of history of energy medicine and how it, how it 
historically came about. It just seems like something newer, and, and it, I didn't really realize like it has some history to it. So, can you share a bit about the history of energy medicine and how it was kind of interrupted, and, and what we don't know about the the dark history of it, if you will? <laughs> something that most people don't realize is that the U.S. United States was founded on energy-based modalities: herbology, homeopathy, naturopathy, and various electrical and magnetic type therapies were mainstream. So we know about them now because there's a resurgence, but we think they're new, but actually they're not. We're just getting back to where we were. We're coming full circle. And the, the reason why this lineage of energy medicine in the West was broken has to do with some events that took place over a hundred years ago. In 1910, the Carnegie Foundation conducted a study of medical training and practices and released what's known as the Flexner Report. And this report called for medical training and practice to be more, quote, scientific. So as a result of this report, the whole healthcare system was overhauled in the US. But the problem is that they didn't take into account the science of quantum physics and the discoveries of Einstein, that time is not linear, and that the observer cannot be separated from what is observed. So the medical practices got based on Newtonian physics, which are very mechanistic. View the universe as a machine and that we are uh, separate from the world. The, the bottom line is all this did was split science from spirituality. And um, we were split from nature, the mind split from the body. But in reality, you can't separate. We we're not made up of solid building blocks of matter. If you look at your body under an electron microscope, you would see that we're made of seemingly nothingness. There's all this space between the physical structures of our body on the subatomic level. But it's teeming with vibrating energy that is connected to everyone and everything. And this energy has an intelligence and a consciousness. But getting back to the Flexner report. The end result was that a lot of most energy-based practices in the U.S. and almost all the schools of homeopathy were shut down. So from 1910 to the early 1990s, it was just forgotten. You have generations of people who have no reference point for health as an expression of energy. So here I was working as a clinical nurse, and I had never even heard of quantum physics. I mean, I didn't know how the body really worked. And my clients would ask me about health, and I couldn't answer them because I had been schooled in disease, not health. And it, it was a very incomplete picture of disease at that. So yes, um, biochemistry is involved in health, but the question is, what is driving the biochemistry in our body? And that is energy. Disease is caused by disruptions in energy. So we have generations of people who don't know anything about energy, how their bodies work, how health works, and when they're presented with information about energy, they have no reference of uh, frame of reference and they can uh, dismiss it or discount it or, or devalue it. Yeah, it's really, really ignored and nullified yes. in a lot of different ways. And yes. From many different angles too, from the allopathic world. Um, in, in your book, you talk about collective consciousness, and uh, also known as the hive mind, which I think is an awesome name because I love bees and honey is delicious. Um, but 
you, can you speak on what this is and how uh, this, in, in conjunction with the REG machine and what quantum physicists have discovered, uh, kind of relates to our health and, and kind of once again ties into uh, quantum physics and, and kind of bridging that gap and, and showing that connection with that? I consider the collective consciousness an aspect of the universal energy field. It's thought to contain the collective psyche, intelligence, and wisdom of humanity. And there is a way to explore the presence of this collective consciousness through what's called random event generators, or REG machines. These are black boxes that, are that have been placed all around the planet and they produce a random series of zeros or ones that are recorded. So if a, a group of humans uses focused intent, these machines will record that intent as a deviation from random. Now in the book I mentioned two particular events where REG machines recorded a deviation that was not intentional. During Princess Diana's funeral in 1997, this was an event felt by huge numbers of people around the planet and it was seen on all these REG machines as a deviation from random. In a sense that event, her funeral, created a, a wave through the collective consciousness. But even more significant, the machines recorded a deviation from random four hours before the planes hit the World Trade Center on 9-11. This event was registering in the collective psyche of humanity before it even happened. And it just shows us how we are all intuitive. We're all sensing energy. We're all spiritual beings residing in a physical body, but we're energy beings. It's just that most people in the West are unaware of what they're picking up or they're dismissing it. Mm -hmm. You say, oh, I'm being crazy or silly or, or this is weird, you know, when we have um, synchronicities or um, coincidences. We're so afraid of being judged. But the bottom line is we can intentionally change, create change in the world. I mean, people are focusing their intent to, say, decrease crime rates in a particular city. Mm -hmm. through, through change in meditation, correct? What's that? It, de decreasing crime through uh, transcendental meditation, correct? Isn't that well, focused intention, you know, mm -hmm. uh, large numbers of people. I think it's a square root of 1% of the population. Mm -hmm. If they all come together and focus their intent on, uh, you know, increasing peace or decreasing crime, right. it does. It, it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's something that, once again, it's something, uh, you know, like you said, people will think, oh, well, you know, you're crazy or this or that or whatever it may be. And it's... It's it's demonized and yes. and uh, polarized because it's it's something unseen. It's something that is um, not quote unquote measurable yet, or maybe it is. Well, I guess it kind of is to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess you know you just, maybe if you don't know the instruments that measure it, then it may seem crazy. But when you know about things like the REG machine, it starts to make more sense. Um, I really like that that part of the book, and it is very interesting to me. Um, and then also uh, the, the story of the woman who uh, contacted you and had a dream about you. Can you share that briefly? Because I thought that was, I, when I was reading that, my jaw just dropped and I was like, wow, that is incredible. Uh, that was, if you don't, if, I mean, if something like this can happen and, and you still kind of doubt intuition and, and 
you know, energy and that kind of thing, then uh, hopefully, you know, whoever is listening will have one of those experiences. But can you just briefly share that story? Because I think there's sure. so much value in it. Uh, this lady called me and she left a message on my answering machine that she had a dream about me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I called her back because I was intrigued and she had no idea who I was. She'd never heard of me, but she had had a dream the night before about me. She was in my house and she got my full name. And this is someone who, who did not consider herself intuitive, but she went online and she um, looked up my contact information because she figured, okay, this is pretty significant <laughs> if I've had this dream and I've gotten a name. So, uh, so I started talking to her on the phone. I asked her some specifics about the dream, and she was, she was able to describe some craft and painting projects. And she said that we were working on them together. And sure enough, I had been working on those things. And she could describe rooms in my house. And at the end of the conversation, neither of us could really figure out why this happened. But afterwards, I realized it was the perfect story for this chapter that I was writing on collective consciousness. It just shows you how connected we are. We're all intuitive. And when we're asleep, we can more easily access this being in a, because we're in a state of surrender when we're asleep. We're in a right brain dominant state. And these things can happen. So you can imagine if you're in a right brain dominant state when you're awake, how intuitive you would be <laughs> mm -hmm. if we weren't suppressing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so interesting. And, and she described a lot of specifics, didn't she? Like Yes. In... Like she said some you know, Star she was talking about Star Wars. Um she and she was almost embarrassed. She's like, okay, this is gonna sound really strange. I'm like, no no no, <laughs> just say it. <laughs> People always say it, and she's like, well, I see, like, this bedroom with Star Wars decorations. I'm like, yes! <laughs> That's me! <laughs> that is just incredible. That is so cool. Yeah, that's, that, that's a great point, too, the dreaming. That, that makes a lot of sense, and that's something that, um, I mean, I think over time, too, it's kind of interesting, because I think the more, the more you choose to pay attention to, to your intuition, to synchronicities, and things like this that happen in life, the more your dreams kind of speak to you and, and, you know, really kind of guide you in life. I've noticed that in my life personally, my dreams used to be really kind of fear-based and really uh, just seemingly useless in my mind at least, but now I have dreams and I'm like, wow, that was, that was inspiring or that, that you know, that's going to help me make a decision tomorrow or the next day or, or something like that. So it's been, it's interesting how my dreams have changed over time and I'm curious, have your dreams kind of changed as you've explored this energetic world over time, too? Oh, yeah. I have um, what's called, I think it's called lucid dreaming, mm -hmm. where I'm actually aware that I'm dreaming while I'm dreaming. Yeah. And I'm like That's taking awesome. over things, or I'm changing things. Or <laughs> right. That's... That's what I'm, I'm trying saying. To oh, I got to remember this when I wake up. This is important. <laughs> yeah, that's I, that's eventually if I can lucid dream. That's that's the ultimate because I'll I'll pretend I'm I'll be an avatar or something. I don't know. I'll do something really really fun. Are you uh, still there? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. Can you hear me? Oh, maybe I'm breaking up. Can you hear me? Hello.
podcast. Oh, there you are. Are you back? Yes. Sorry about that. And I, I don't know what happened there. Disconnection. Um, so uh, where was I? Okay. So yeah. Next question then. <laughs> um, beyond, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about collective consciousness and how uh, the collective consciousness affects the world around us. Uh, you know, and obviously our consciousness affects our health and our well-being. Uh, what other kind of unseen variables have power in our lives to impact our our uh, healing emotionally, spiritually, and our just our health in general? Well, I'll, I'm going to answer that in terms of the healing process. And the first step is awareness. It's all about being aware of what your body and mind are telling you, and what are the where what are the signs of your energy block? Like my infertility was a symptom, was a sign that there was a blockage. So it's the awareness is about paying attention to what your body's telling you physically. If you have pain, tightness, or tension, that's a sign that there's a blockage there. Emotionally, if you feel sad, Fear, anger, guilt, shame, frustration, overwhelm, those are all signs that there is a block. Mentally, if you have repetitive negative thoughts, it's a sign that you have an energy block. And spiritually, if you're feeling, feeling alone, disconnected, or empty, it's a sign that you have a block. So what, in this, so these different blockages, you have the symptoms that show up. What, what causes those blockages? And, and how, and like you described, you know, pain and, and tension and tightness and whatnot, uh, what causes those blockages and then how, how can you kind of like diagnose yourself, if you will, in a, in a way to understand what's going on at a deeper level? Energy blocks pretty much all start with some kind of trauma. And trauma can be anything. We, every single one of us has trauma. You know, it can be physical trauma, it can be spiritual trauma, like you feel abandoned by God. It can be emotional trauma, like you've had a heartbreaking experience. The difference between us and the animal kingdom is that we have a thinking mind. So we're in the past and the future, and we're not in the presence. For an animal, when they're traumatized, they move on. But because we have a thinking mind, we continue to live as if we're still in the trauma. So it's not so much the trauma itself, it's our reaction to it we become mistrustful, we make judgments about what has happened to us and we form negative belief systems to protect ourselves. Like we may make a decision or, or unconsciously say, okay, the world is unsafe or I can't trust people. Or, so if somebody broke your heart, then you close your heart and you don't let anyone get close to you again. <clears throat> so is that, so for example, if I'm like, or anyone is having pain or tension, is there a way to know whether the pain or the tension or tightness, is there a way to kind of associate an emotion with that or is it just, it could be anything really, it just, it just depends. And it doesn't really matter where your block is, you can have blocks in your energy field and those, these can look like uh, rips, tears, holes, leaks. It can, your energy field can be misshapen, stagnant, dull, foggy, depleted. Uh, your Meridians, your energy channels can have diminished flow, they can be blocked, and your energy centers or chakras can be clogged, disfigured, 
undercharged, overcharged, or out of synchrony. But you don't have to know exactly where it is or which one of these things you have, because the the energy medicine prescription, as you you know, as you might say, is always the same. The blocks are going to release in the energy of unconditional acceptance. Mm -hmm. So chakras and and meridians, can you explain a little bit about uh, what chakras and meridians are for those that don't know and then how um, those play a role in in this system of ours? Chakras or energy centers are um, are cone-shaped spinning vortices of energy. We have seven major ones and lots of lots of other ones, um, starting from the pelvic floor up to the top of our head. And this is how we interact with people and 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 the, our environment. Um, so you're. In my example about getting your heart broken, if you close, then you might close your heart center, your energy center to your heart. You might feel a heaviness or an aching or a pressure in your heart. The meridians are um, acupuncture meridians. They're they're like the channels. They're like um, the electrical wires that you would find in a house that carry energy throughout. That carry, excuse me, electricity throughout the house. These carry energy throughout your body. And then you have your energy field, which extends out um, about an egg-shaped sphere about three feet around your your physical body. Mm -hmm. So how do we know if if one of our seven chakras or our meridians are blocking emotions? Is, is Is it just kind of the pain and the tension in that area, or can there maybe not be a symptom physically? But on another level, there's still a symptom where we're holding on to something. It's not that the it's blocking the emotion. It's the emotion is telling you there is a blockage. Okay. So if you have any so-called negative emotion, you have a blockage. Mm-hmm. You know? If you feel sad, it's an indication there's a blockage. If you feel fear, there's a blockage. And of course, we have these all the time, but it's how we react to them. Right. So you're saying that if we're dwelling in those things, then, you know, it's a blockage. No. Um, the blockage is there if you have it at all. Mm-hmm. And you're, if, but the way most people react to it is, I don't want to feel that. So they want to push it down. They want to um, wall it off. They want to contain it. And that's what forms the blockage. So you might have some kind of trauma, and then you have that, uh, a strong emotion and instead of letting it flow through you, you shove it down. Mm-hmm. That's what creates the blockage. Okay. And everything is meant to flow through us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, happiness and joy, you know, ripple through us. When you laugh, it kind of ripples through your body. Well, all emotions are meant to be felt that way, but we tend to shut down the ones that are unpleasant. You know, mm-hmm. grief can actually ripple right through your body and make you feel really alive. Really? Yes. You okay. can have good grief. Really? Can, like if you're feeling sad, if you let yourself have a good hard cry, you're yeah. going to feel so much better because you've let it flow. You've let it move through you. Yeah, true. Good point. And I, it's funny you mentioned that. I've actually read before that the tears you cry from emotional pain and sadness actually release 
toxins and then yes. the normal tears that I don't I don't know what I mean by normal tears but the non painful tears don't have that toxin release so it's kind of interesting that's a great point there's like a chemical uh, change going on too as well so that that makes sense on that level too so um, if you have to, if your eyes are watering up or, or you know tears are slipping out of your eyes and you don't feel sad you've got a backlog of tears that need to be shed or your sinuses that's sadness that's gotten pushed, you know, further into your body that hasn't been released. Interesting. And that's just waiting to be released and hopefully yes. it will be. Yes. Interesting. It's your body talking to you. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, you, in your book, you talk about energetic an anatomy and, and how uh, intuition, clairvoyance, and um, all these different aspects of our being and, and being really just being intuitive with our own bodies and understanding what's going on uh, is, is very important and then you, you mentioned uh, Dr. Emoto and his work with water and then the secret life of plants and how kind of in nature uh, you know water and plants they have these different reactions and they have you know like for, for the secret life of plants the plants have a, a nervous system and water uh, the, the structure of it changes uh, so it shows how you know we're impacting you know plants and water and these things around us, uh, but understanding how you know if it, that understanding that how we impact ourselves with our own thoughts, and then just being intuitive to the things outside of us and how that's impacting us. How does how does that play a role really in your life and and, and in your work and and how does someone really improve their intuition and their ability to be more understanding of what's you know, kind of coming into their uh, energetic field. Well, I would just start out by really paying attention to those signs that you've got that something's going on. You know, really pay attention to if you've got some tightness or tension in your body. You know, what were you just thinking of when you got tight? Or did somebody just say something to you? And follow it. The same thing, if, you know, if you feel an emotion, what did you just respond to? Maybe a commercial on TV, but it's it's telling you where the issue is. Mm -hmm. And that's just part of understanding your body. But on, on, on the level of, like, for example, intuition, uh, I know for me, you know, sometimes, you know, every once in a while, it's not too often, but every once in a while, I will just feel a certain way about a person or a situation. Yes. And uh, in, in, in the past, you know, that was my, I wouldn't listen to my gut feeling, but now I listen to my gut feeling and it's really guided me a lot better and allowed me to not be, not be negatively impacted by situations, people or circumstances that in the past I probably would have gone down that road and you know either been hurt or uh, frustrated or you know something negative from that. Uh, so so how, how do you kind of develop that, that intuition muscle if you will uh, to to be more in tune with the energy around you and, and in your environment? By not, by suspending the self-doubt and just not editing, um, there are four basic types of intuition. One is um, clear cognizance, which is that, that knowing, you just know something, like one minute you didn't know it and the next minute you do. Um, clairsentience is where you feel it in your body, the gut feeling. Clairaudience is where you hear, um, and uh, clairvoyance is where you see. 
Um, so it's about unplugging and spending some time focusing inward. We have a tendency to be run by what's happening in our exterior environment instead of being run by internally. Um, I don't know how to explain that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And then for for something like that, if I, and I actually didn't know there's four different types of... Well, there's actually more than that. There's also oh, wow. um, if you smell something or taste something, but those are very unusual types of mm -hmm. uh, intuition. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's interesting. I so, have experienced those too. Really? Huh. Yes, like um, say a client comes in who um, used to be a smoker and um, they haven't smoked in five years, but if I start working in their field, I might smell cigarette smoke. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm working with somebody who maybe had chemotherapy drugs, I might taste um, a chemical taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But those are unusual. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, the, the, the different types too, because for me it feels more like a gut feeling for me, so maybe for me, knowing that, I can be more in tune to that and for, you know, uh, different people, maybe it's a different, you know, it's a different intuition, if you will, or it's a different form of intuition that's stronger for them or, or something like that. Yes, we usually um, have one that we're stronger in, but um, if you really work with, I originally my strongest was just a knowing, mm -hmm. and now my strongest is clear audience. Mm -hmm. Interesting, very cool. That's cool. I'm gonna have to look into that more, and I'm sure our listeners will be interested in that too. Um, in your book, you talk about you know obviously the, the energetic suppression of emotions and how that, those will affect our field, our chakras, our meridians, and our health and wellness overall. Uh, but how, on the flip side of that, you know, feeling things like worthiness, feeling loved, feeling valuable, uh, and things like that. How important is it to feel those positives? And do you do you feel that we need to? start to integrate those positives while healing the negatives or is that kind of a separate thing and a two-step process? Um, it's kind of a, I guess it's kind of a two-step process. Um, for, first you need awareness of course so that you're paying attention to your negative thoughts and your negative feelings and then accepting yourself no matter what and this is important because it builds trust you know, every time you have a negative thought or a negative emotion, you're saying, I need to stop, you know, you try to block it or push it down, you don't trust yourself anymore. If you're abandoning yourself or bashing yourself or criticizing yourself, which a lot of people do, then you don't, you don't trust yourself. And as soon as you reach a certain level of trust, you automatically go into the fourth stage of healing, which is surrender. So I'm not sure if that answered your question. But um, once you're in that state of surrender, that, that's a lot of times when I'll start adding in those positive affirmations. But you can't put those in on top of a block mm -hmm. when you're already in a state of um, resistance. Your body just won't accept it basically then because it's, it's incongruent basically? It's just, it's, it's walled off. Mm -hmm. um, most people have a certain level of resistance depending on how traumatized they, they are. You know, they, they think that they are protecting themselves by, by pushing, pushing, um, pushing things away. Mm -hmm. And so the thing they want most in life, they're actually resisting and pushing it away. 
Mm-hmm. So when it comes to accepting yourself and uh, really just you know loving yourself and accepting yourself where you are at this point in life, are there any practices you would recommend? You know, mind, body, spirit practices that would help someone to accept themselves so that they can begin to sur- surrender and let those things go? Yes, EFT, mm-hmm. which is emotional freedom technique or acutapping, you're tapping on acupuncture meridians. And the most important part of it is that the, the words that you use, you always acknowledge where you are. So say you're in a state of fear, you would say, even though I'm in a state of fear, I love and accept myself, or whatever it is that you can say. I, even though this fear is unacceptable to me, I'm an acceptable person. And you can actually even exaggerate it. Um, I'm going to stay fearful. I'm going to be fearful all the time. I'm never going to give up this fearfulness. And that usually flips the switch so that you can let it go. Mm-hmm. But I found that to be the most um, effective technique to get to that self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Is there any, anything else you'd recommend too as far as acceptance practices or anything? Um, I can't think of it up off the top of my head, just EFT. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've actually interviewed someone on EFT before and it's a very, um, very cool practice. A lot of different approaches and experiences and stories I've heard from that. Um, so you, you talk about, you know, and in, in your book about uh, managing, uh, you know, these, these, you know, like you said, kind of letting things flow through you, whether it's positive or negative, right. experiencing it and kind of living in that space of, you know, non-attachment and not, non-suppression and things like that. Uh, and that, that's huge. Like that's not many people are really living that way and in, in, in that kind of harmony. Um, so in your personal life, how do you manage your positive and negative experiences and emotions both uh, to, to really have that harmony and balance because that's truly rare in today's world? I'm, I'm accepting of you know, all my positive and negative experiences. You know, no matter what I'm feeling, I've gotten to a place where I'm just very accepting um, of whatever I'm feeling. I don't, I'm not afraid of grief anymore. I'm not afraid of fear anymore. Um, and I use various practices to maintain my balance. I, I get out in nature as, as much as I can. I journal. I use a lot of sound healing with my own voice, drums, chimes, singing bowls. And um, I do a lot of tapping. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to give you an example, um, three years ago, I went to an orthopedist because I thought I might need some arthroscopy, and he took one look at my x-ray and told me I was completely out of options, that the knee was not functioning, and I needed a total replacement. And I, I mean, I'm right there in this office with you know, all these people in the waiting room, and I just let myself cry. I didn't suppress myself at all. And I think most people would try to push that down or try to hold themselves together or would be embarrassed, but I just, I just let it rip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very real with myself. I don't suppress anything or hide anything from myself. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And that takes a lot of courage, too, because yes. in, today's, in today's society, 
being that real and that vulnerable when strangers around you and you know they're they're going to judge you if you're doing that it's just kind of the truth uh, right. and and not allowing that to affect you in any negative way uh, it takes a lot of courage but it keeps you balanced and that's um, that's beautiful that's something that I think we could all learn from and um, you know especially males <laughs> because uh, uh, there's there's been times in my life where I'm like you know I gotta I gotta keep my you know it's like uh, there's a movie with Will Ferrell and he's like he like he's yelling at the top of his voice and he's like we have to keep our composure and he's <laughs> he's like completely losing his composure and it just it reminds me of that like that's the way males are kind of right. uh, trained or you know taught yes. to be in America it's, it's like that's I, not <laughs> I, I can't hold it down anymore I mean you know I've progressed too far I can't go backwards I can't be inauthentic. I have to be transparent. And when you do that, you give other people permission to do the same thing. That's from that famous quote by Marianne Williamson. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, so that's that's beautiful, and that's uh, that's such a positive trait. Um, so you you have so much value and wisdom, and I I absolutely loved your book. You really connected a lot of things that I think are still unconnected in the and the healing world and the spiritual world and uh, there's so, so much value and wisdom in it so once again I recommend all the listeners to grab a copy of her book and I'll link that up below this interview but um, if, if you were to leave three tips, three pieces of advice for really just kind of progressing and growing and evolving uh, and feeling happier, more balanced and healthier uh, to improve mind, body, spirit, health what would those three pieces of advice be and uh, why are those so important to you in your life? Uh, the first one I would say is get out in nature. You know, get outside, take your shoes off and put your bare feet on the ground. So our health is so strongly influenced by the energy of the planet. But we live in homes made of insulated materials and we wear shoes that are non-conductive that completely block our energy connection to the earth. And when you, when you get in nature, you're more able to be a part of nature that you are and be more in the moment and get out of your head. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, my second is, is to listen more inside. I mean, our minds are so full of the rules that we've taken in and what people have told us. you got to listen, quiet that enough so that you can hear your own wise voice. No, not what, not even what I tell you to do. Deep down, you know what's best for you, and it's about dropping in and listening for that, and accepting yourself, no matter what. Be your, be your own best friend. Don't worry so much about what you are doing or aren't doing. Just be, and give yourself the space to discover who you really are. Mm -hmm. Awesome, that's beautiful. And well, actually, one quick question I, I do have on that, because you mentioned you journal, and that's I've started picking up journaling again recently. Uh, is I'm, I'm guessing that's helped you discover who you are, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's how I started writing. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Is there any anything you'd give someone advice in, within journaling? Because it's something I recommend to all my friends. I say, hey, start journaling because it's something that, it's just allowed me to flow more because, you know, like we've talked about letting emotions flow through us and experiences, for me, journaling is like my avenue for that. 
Um, so would you give any tips on journaling to use that as a tool to, to allow those things to flow easier? Well, it's a place where you can just dump, you know, dump what you're feeling and start to um, develop that listening skill. You know, you, when you put it out on paper, then you're, you're, um, that's a way of being your own best friend. You can write letters um, to yourself. You can record your dreams. You can record your fears. You can record the positive things that are happening. And then, you know, when you get to a low point, you can look back through your journal and go, wow, I am really making progress. And, and here are, the, here are the, um, the positive things that have happened. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a wonderful processing tool. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I, I've done that too. It's funny, I, I look back at old journal entries and I'm like, this was me, really? Like, <laughs> wow, I, I guess I have grown. So it's, it's, it's really inspiring and it, it really, it is, it is a way to dump things and just really start fresh and, and start new. And um, it's a great tool and I highly recommend um, everyone listen to that. Um, so where, uh, thank you so much for your time and doing this interview. Where can our listeners learn more about your work, what are your websites and uh, like social media properties online? My website is HeidiDupree.com and uh, Twitter is again Heidi Dupree and Pinterest is Heidi Dupree. Facebook is Heidi Dupree RN. Um, on my website you can download a, um, a chart for tapping from my book for the um, EFT and you can also sign up for a free energy medicine kit for healing and integration. Um, and I promise I won't bombard you with emails if you sign up. I very rarely email my um, from that group. But if you do, you will get notice of when my future books come out. I've got three more books in the works. Wow. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, to all the listeners, uh, grab a copy of her book once again. It's an incredible book. It's it's given me insight in certain ways that it's just connected things that I hadn't connected before, which is really cool for me because I like to kind of piece together dots and that kind of thing. So uh, if you're listening in iTunes, please uh, subscribe, leave a review on the podcast, and I will see you in the next episode. Thanks a lot for your time, Heidi. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you so much, David. Take care now. Bye. Bye.